Hello, everybody. I hope everybody had a awesome Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving is my uh, favorite holiday of the year. And I know that biblically, Easter and Christmas should be, but I absolutely love Thanksgiving. Food, football, family. Not in that order, of course. And I know that there's probably a lot of you in here today who spent all day cooking and all day preparing for Thanksgiving. I mean, a lot of work was put into it. Then I know there's probably some of you who probably just walked in somewhere, pulled out a fork, didn't really put much else into it. And I would be one that would be lumped into that former category. And you know, it's weird too because I absolutely love to eat, but I can't cook. I mean, I can't cook at all. If you can't microwave it or just stick it in the oven or pull it out of the cabinet and just open it and eat it, I don't even buy it. It's not even at my house. And you know, a few months ago, I shouldn't tell this story, but a few months ago I had a craving for a grilled cheese sandwich. And it's probably really hard to believe I had never made a grilled cheese sandwich. But I'm thinking, how hard can this be? I know you take butter. I know you put it on the bread. And I know you load a ton of cheese on it. And I made it. And afterwards, I'm looking at it. And it looks so good. And it's huge. And I grab it with both hands. And I take a big bite. And then instantly, it's like, whoa. Something's wrong. This didn't taste like my mama's grilled cheese sandwich. I wasn't for sure what happened, but something happened and I could not eat it. Well, later my daughter gets home and I shared the grilled cheese story with her. And she gives me that look. You know that repulsed look the kids give you? That you disgust me look? Well, she informs me that the butter that I put on the bread was what toasted, not the grease that I deep fried it in. I made a deep fried grilled cheese sandwich. It was fair food. I knew I shouldn't have shared that. You know, like a lot of things in life, though, just because you're down doesn't mean you have to stay that way. It doesn't mean that things can't change. Case in point, the weekend before Halloween, I went with my girlfriend to her church for their annual harvest party. We went as the Adams family last year. I think we got a picture here. The guy on on your right, I didn't know who that was. He just said he'd make a good fester and he just jumped in there. This year, I went as Chris Bunch. Well, anyway, at their parties, the women, they make desserts. And they enter them into a contest and they're judged to see who, who wins, who made the best dessert. The men make chili. And they're judged to see who makes the best chili. Nobody knows whose is whose until all the tasting, all the judging is over with. So I decided that I would make chili. And I went to the store and I bought a bunch of stuff that I thought, man, this would be awesome in chili. 
And I mixed it all in, man, and I stirred it and I heated it up. And I took it in and I, and I put it up on the thing and I kind of stepped back and I watched people. I watched people coming up there and eating it. I won second place. Boom! <laughs> Who is laughing now? The point of all this, and I do have one, is just because you're struggling or just because you're battling with something at the moment, it doesn't mean it will always be that way. Seasons change. You know, I think most of you would probably agree with me that life, life can be very complicated. You know, sometimes relationships... Sometimes careers and our jobs and our family and our friends, they all bring interesting dynamics to our lives. And as you experience life, one of the things you discover is that you go through some things. And some of it's good. Some of it's really good. But some of it is not so good. You know, we have good times. We have bad times. Sometimes we're up. Sometimes we're down. And it's all a part of life. And some of the things that we go through are the result of our own choices. Choices that we've made. Good choices, bad choices. Other things that we go through may be the result of the choice of others. You know, the choice of others that end up affecting us. You know, and sometimes it becomes a combination of two. You made a choice, I made a choice. We kind of ended up with this, a combination of choices. And then as you get a little older, you may figure out that sometimes things happen in your life that are not the result of a choice that you have made and not the result of a choice that someone else has made, but it's the result of God. You know, the Bible says God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And all of us, I guarantee if you look back over parts of your lives, whether you were a Christian or not a Christian, you can probably find spots where you see God's blessings. And then there are other times that may be the result of our lives being attacked. You know, we don't talk a whole lot about that here, but Jesus said, there is a thief in the earth who comes to steal and kill and to destroy. And a lot of times our lives, a lot of times our lives are hit by these attacks. As we live, we sometimes lose someone or something. Relationships or opportunities And no matter what has occurred, time still has to go on. Seasons still change. But we continue to struggle with these things. And what I've discovered in my own life, that even though we go forward, there remains a void. It's like a sense of loss in us that affects the way that we look at life. I mean, I think back to my wife leaving me three and a half years ago. Man, those first couple years after that, I was lost. I mean, I felt 
I felt in a daze. It was almost as if I had lost two years of my life with the state of mind I was in and the depression that I was battling. And I've almost felt since then that in fact, it's like I'm two years behind. It's like I had two years of my life stolen from me. Two years that I was hurting. Two years that I was trying to pick up the pieces. I was trying to see how can I move on again after 18 years together with somebody. Well, I was having quiet time one morning, which consists of Bible reading and prayer. And I felt like God whispering to me, why have you accepted this? I'm thinking, why have I accepted it? I've accepted it for the same reason that everybody does. This is life. This is the way it is. You know, there's things that happen in life. You don't want it. You don't like it. If you had the choice to go back and change it, you would. But it happened. You live with it. You accept it. Today's lesson is about not accepting that way of thinking any longer. If you have been through a loss, and almost everybody in here has, you don't have to accept it. You don't have to be content with where you're at. You don't have to be content with how you feel about it. God says you're better than that. Today's lesson is about restoration. And the scripture that I am going to be teaching you today is Joel 2, verse 25 through 27, where God says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Man, that, my friends, as you are going to see, is some powerful, powerful Scripture. And the truth is, God does not want you to accept your loss. God wants you to believe that He can restore your life. That He can not only restore whatever it is that's been taken from you, but that He can give you back far more than you have ever lost. Now, I know some of you right now, you're thinking, how? I don't understand this. You don't know what I've lost. You don't know what's hurting me. You don't know the void that's in my heart. You may have lost a home. You may have lost a family member, relationship. You may have lost your health or a child. And you're thinking, how is God going to restore that? Some of you might be thinking, you know, I'm the one that made the bad decisions. Man, I made the bad choices. That's why I've lost so-and-so. My loss is the result of my sin. God probably ain't going to restore that. And I want to be very, very clear on something before we dig into this Scripture. The blood of Jesus Christ more than paid for any bad decisions you have ever made in your entire life. Are we clear on that? Your sin does not outweigh what Christ did on the cross. God has the power. God has the willingness to give you back the time, the relationship, whatever it is, 
and give you back a life that satisfies. So before we get into the how God restores, first, I want to tell you why God wants to bring restoration to your life. Now, there's three reasons God wants to bring restoration into your life. And the first one, Derek sang about it. He loves you. He loves you. It's so simple, but yet for some reason that is so hard to grasp. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3 of the Message Bible, God says, I've never quit loving you and never will. Expect love, love, and more love. And so now I'll start over with you and build you up again. God loves us no matter what. He says regardless of what has happened, regardless of who is at fault for it, I want to build you back up again because I love you. Don't accept where you are right now. Expect to be restored. Now the second reason God wants to bring restoration to your life is you are a child of God. You are a child of God. In Galatians 3, verse 26, it says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are His children. Children are a reflection of their parents. They are. When you see my children, how they behave, how they talk, it reflects back to me. It isn't always a good thing, but it reflects back to me. My kids and I were volunteering one Saturday, a couple months ago. We was feeding the homeless at a church. We'd already helped prepare the food, so now we was getting ready to start serving the food as, as people were coming in. And the pastor of the church who was in charge wanted to get everybody together and wanted to say a prayer and bless the food before we began serving it. So we all get in a big circle, me and my kids and, and the other people that were there serving. We bow our heads and the pastor starts to pray. And he starts to pray. And he keeps praying. All of a sudden, all you hear is, <sighs> it was my son Ethan who had apparently figured that the prayer should be over with by now. But children are a reflection of their parents. You know, when I hear a child cussing, or saying racial remarks that reflects back to the parents. If you have never saw me, but you saw my children, you would know something about me. Children are a reflection of the parents, and you are a child of God. The world can't see God, but they can see His children. They can see you, and you represent God. Third reason God wants to bring restoration to your life is it brings Him glory. It brings Him glory. You know, God wants to show the world how great He is. God wants to show everybody how wonderful He is, how magnificent He is, by bringing restoration into your life. 
Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. You know, if you experience, if you experience restoration in your life, the people around you will see it. And they'll see how great God is. And He's glorified by it. So there's why God wants to bring restoration to you. Now let's discuss how He wants to do this. What does restoration really mean with God? And what can we expect? Now to understand this, we're going to jump way back in the Old Testament. We're going to go back to Exodus 22, verse 1, where God says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep, and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So that's under the law. Under God's law, five oxen were restored for one. Four sheep were restored for one. That was the law. Anybody know why? Because with God, restoration is always more then you lost. Restoration is always more than you lost. It's always been that way with God. It's always been like that. I mean, in this world, restore means something else. If you say, I'm going to restore this old car, you're going to take it back to its original condition. You say, I'm going to restore this old house. Think about the houses on Washington Street. They take them and they restore these houses back to their original condition. God doesn't take you back to original. God always gives you more. Five oxen for the one you lost. Four sheep to replace the one stolen. God restores not just the fruit that you would have had, but more. You say, well... God can't restore that relationship that I lost. And maybe. Maybe not that one. But He can bring you another relationship that is many times greater than the one that you lost. Maybe you lost an opportunity and that can't be restored. But God can bring you an opportunity that is far greater than the one you lost the first one will pale in comparison to it. Here's an example of this. Let's go to Luke 5, verse 1. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee with the people crowding around Him and listening to the Word of God, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So what you've got to keep in mind here is at this point, they have no idea who Jesus is. This is very early on in the story. They refer to him as Master because he's a teacher. He's a rabbi. So this Bible teacher comes up. And he asks to use his boat. He gets in it. He says some cool things. And then he tells these men who fish 
for a living and who had been out fishing all night and caught absolutely nothing to go back out and drop their nets. Basically, go ahead and give it another shot. It goes on to say, Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So notice how Peter, who is this Simon that we're speaking of, it's Simon Peter, he's a lot like us because he hears them. He hears them, but then he's struggling with it a little bit. Oh, I've worked hard all night. I didn't get anything. Nothing ever seems to ever go my way. Does that sound familiar? Goes on to say, when they had done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So what am I trying to share with you about this? Peter had a loss. The fishing business isn't going real well. The kids are hungry. The wife's mad. He was out working all night and got nothing. But understand this because here's your next fill-in. Here's the point. When you ask Jesus into your boat, you should expect to get more than you expected. You should expect to get more than you expected because He is the God of restoration. Now I know that there's some of you in here right now who's been through way worse than this divorce I spoke of or this financial loss that, that, uh, that Peter had. Man, I know that there are some of you in here who refuse to open certain doors now in your life because, man, there's too much hurt there. Man, there's way too much pain. It's hard to even entertain the possibility that God can restore whatever is in those rooms. Whatever that loss is that you've had in your life. And I want you to look at Joel 2 verse 25, the beginning of this scripture today. It says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. I mean, look at that. God says, I will restore to you. He's making it personal to you. The years the locusts have eaten. Now, I looked up that word locust. And in the Old Testament, the locust can be a literal locust. Or it can represent, which is what it means here, a day, a time, or a season of devastation. A day, a time, or a season of devastation. Man, locusts can appear suddenly out of nowhere. And then they can disappear just as suddenly. You know, you wake up one morning. Man, you're as happy as you can be. But by the time you came back to the house that night, you wish that day would have never happened. That one day changed everything. I mean, your life 
can go from here to here suddenly because of a devastation that comes into your life. And then just like that, it's gone. But the damage is still there. You're still living with that loss. So God says, I want to restore to you the years that this devastation took place. We read further into the scripture and it goes on to say the canker worm and the caterpillar. And you think, man, that sounds weird. But what they are referring to are growth periods of the locust. There's a canker worm. It's like the baby stage. It's like the weaning stage of everything. Then there's a caterpillar, which is like the middle stage, the middle development of it. And all God is saying in this Scripture, all God is saying to you is that no matter what stage your loss is at, I mean, it may have already happened. The locusts may have come through your life. They may have come through your house and there's nothing left. Or it may be in the beginning stage of the devastation, like the canker worm. Or midway through, like the caterpillar. God says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where it's at. I want to restore it. He says, don't wait. Don't wait until the locust reaches full stage. Believe me right now, even if this is in the crawling stage, believe me right now that I can restore this. It doesn't have to get any further than this. Then the Scripture goes on within the palmer worm. Palmer worm is a Hebrew word for a different kind of locust. You see, there was that locust that came through in Egypt, if you've read your Bible. It's like the plague. It just wiped the land clean. No leaves, no crops, no food, nothing left. But then there's another kind, and they called it the palmer worm. And the palmer worm is what you and I would call the gnawing locust. Because this locust here, it didn't come through the land and eat everything up. It didn't destroy all the crops. It just affected the crops. And you see, some of you here today have a palmer worm that's at work in your lives. And the crazy thing about a palmer worm is that you can convince yourself to live with it. Because it's not eating everything up, right? It's not destroying your marriage. It's just uh, affecting your marriage. It's not destroying your relationships. It's just affecting the relationships. It's gnawing at your life. It's gnawing at your job. It's gnawing at your health. And God says, I want to restore what this palmer worm is eating away at your life. I mean, God ain't going to do for us what we refuse to do for ourselves, though. Alcohol abuse, drugs, porn, anger, food, debt. These can be palmer worms in our lives. God wants it stopped before it becomes a season of devastation. So he talks about the locusts. 
Then he talks about the different stages of the locust. He talks about a different kind of locust. And then he talks about a kind of army. It says, my great army, which I sent among you. He's saying an army that comes against your life, that brings devastation. How many of you have encountered people like this? Man, they're the kind of people that always want to hurt you. They always want to fight you. They always want to criticize you. They always want to wage war on you. They can be in our workplace. They can be in our families. Heck, they can be in our church. They can do the most damage in our lives, too. I mean, they can gang up on you, or they can hurt you all by themselves. God says, I don't want you affected because of what everyone is saying about you or doing to you. I don't want everybody else's decisions to impact you. You can't control what others do, but you can control what you do. And God says, I want to restore you to where you control what you know is right. Even when you face adversity. Especially when you face adversity. I know a woman that has faced many obstacles. Her husband left her for a younger woman a few years ago and divorced her. Took her house, took her car, took her financial security, took her self-esteem. Actually left this woman with nothing. She was trying to work two part-time jobs along with her full-time job as a secretary in a law office to try to make ends meet, to try to move on. But she had faith and a bunch of it. And she felt God telling her one night, as she sat outside one evening crying and just kind of praying and calling out to God, she felt God telling her to hang in there. Hang in there because I am proud of you for the way you are handling this. Hang in there and I will restore to you what you have lost. But like Peter in the fishing story, she'd get frustrated. She'd begin to doubt. She would wonder why God wasn't restoring the things that she felt He had promised her. So the weight of everything, the finances, the hurt, the loneliness, everything was just dragging her down. But she kept praying. She kept trusting God for restoration. March 4th, her boss was killed in an automobile accident. So not only did she lose a friend, but her full-time job. And in the midst of this, God used her to bring healing to a grieving wife and four children who had just lost their daddy. One of them was a special needs child with Down syndrome. So in her season of devastation, God was allowing her to help someone else in their season of devastation. So now we fast forward a month after that, and she's got no job. The only thing she has left is hope and belief 
that God is going to restore to her what he whispered that night in the yard and God's going to put her life back together. To do as Joel 2 verse 25 says, and to restore the years the locusts have eaten. Restoration began with a phone call. A friend from her church got her set up with a job interview. She got the job and along with it came the opportunity to work all the overtime she wanted. She wouldn't even have to have the two part-time jobs. She could finally catch up on the rent. She could finally catch up on all the bills that she was behind. But then another friend called and felt God put it in her and her husband's heart to buy her a house. To buy her a house. How awesome's God? She finally had financial freedom that surpassed what she had before. And just to glorify God a little more in this story, he used this whole story, this whole chain of events to bring this woman, Loretta, into my life and to restore to me what I had been missing as well as her. Is that awesome or what? The way God works. And see, that brings us into this next part of the Scripture. Verse 26, where it says, And you shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that I just did, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Man, that door that we were speaking of earlier. And you don't want to open that door. You don't want to open it because it's painful. That locust ate that part of your life bare. But you need to claim it back. God wants to make it better than it was when it was taken from you. And I know there's doubt. I know there's doubt in your head right now. I know some of you are thinking, how is God going to do that for me? You need to tell your doubt to shut up. We do the believing and He does the how. Let Him be God. I don't know how He's going to do it, but do you believe that He can do it? Do you believe that God wants to do this? Peter, that night in the boat, too much fish. God always gives you more. When you ask Jesus into your boat, you should expect to start having more than you expected to have. You shall have too much. It says it in the Scripture. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord, your God, for He has dealt wondrously with you. Man, that phrase, wondrously, it means He's done something extraordinary with, with you. Extraordinary. Restoration is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And then He goes on to say, and you 
shall never be ashamed. Meaning you will never be disgraced. You will never be found guilty for whatever it is that you have done in your life. I want to close with a few quick stories here from the Bible. Because I just want to try, to the best of my ability, to answer any questions that you may have in your head right now about how is God going to restore my particular loss. So here's a few examples before we end. In John, the fourth chapter, there's a wonderful story of restoration. Jesus is coming to the town of Samaria, and he's there in the midday, and his disciples have gone into town to get something to eat, and he's there by himself. And a woman comes out to draw water from the well. And he says, will you give me a drink? And she says, why would you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, to give you something to drink? You've got to understand, Jews believed that Samaritans were dirty, believed that they were unclean. Jesus said, if you would ask of him that said, give me something to drink, he would give you living water, and you would thirst no more. She said, Sir, give me this water and I won't have to come back to this well. Why does she not want to come back to the well? You have to know that women never came in the midday to get water. They always came in the morning or they always came in the evening. But this woman came when no one else would be there. Why? Jesus said, go and bring your husband and I will give you that water. She said, sir, I have no husband. He said, you speak truth, but you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. So it becomes a little more clear here. We begin to understand why this woman came in the middle of the day to draw water. I mean, can you imagine... In a little town like that, the ridicule that probably came her way. This was a five-time divorcee. I mean, do you think the other women in the town criticized her? Made fun of her? I would just about bet there was a little fear from some of the other women too because obviously this woman had the ability to attract men. And Jesus goes out of his way to come to this well to restore a multiple divorcee. I mean, we read of her. Her life speaks to us. She was the one that took the word to the Samaritans of Jesus being the Messiah. The whole town came out based on her. Her elevation changed that day. He restored her. about this, the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. It's found in John chapter 6. 
And if you've heard the story, remember there was a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, actually, it was five small barley loaves of bread and two fish. It was a nice little lunch is what he had. Jesus looks out at the 5,000. Jesus turns to his disciples. He says, feed them. They're like, they're looking around. They see the boy. They're like, Jesus, all we have is five loaves of bread and two fish. They took the boy's lunch. It was his lunch. They took it. Jesus blessed it. And they fed it. He said, take up what's left. And they picked up 12 baskets. Who do you think got those 12 baskets? It was his lunch. So what Jesus given back? He lost five loaves and two fish. And Jesus restored 12 baskets. Because God always gives you back more than you lost. He always restores more than you lost. Second Samuel chapter 12. David, the greatest king of the Old Testament. God said David was a man after his own heart. And David's son goes sick. It says David pleaded with God to save his child. David didn't eat for seven days and seven nights. He slept on the floor. He was a mess and the child died. It says David got up and he washed himself and he went straight for the temple. And he began to praise and worship God. His men, they came to him. They said, King, we don't understand. While the child was alive, you were fasting. You were in great despair. And now the child is dead and you're in the temple worshiping God. And David made this statement. He said, Why should I grieve when I know that I will go to him? Listen, there are some of you in here who's lost a child. And God even has restoration for you because that child is waiting for you. And when you get there, you're going to spend more time with him or her than you would have ever had here. It'll be like a handful of sand compared to the sand of every beach in the world. God is going to restore that which you have lost. Let's stand for closing prayer. Ask that the prayer team comes forward if anybody needs prayer. Let's bow our heads. God, we just pray that you would still this belief of restoration in each one of us. God, I know there's people in this room that are hurting. I know that there's people in this room that are struggling with loss. And we just pray for this restoration. God, I pray for the struggling marriages in this room. God, I pray that you'll restore those marriages. You'll make them stronger than they have ever been. I pray for the restoration of relationships with parents or children or siblings. 
to those struggling with something, the palmer worms that I spoke of, God, allow each person to seek help, not to be ashamed. Pride and shame is Satan's greatest tool. Not to be ashamed to attend Celebrate Recovery or go to Grief Share. God, we thank you in advance for this restoration that you are going to do. God, let our lives glorify you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Know you're loved in this place. Have an awesome week.